I'll have to sing. One, two, one, two, three, four. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, music was, it was a great soundtrack. No, I, uh, Wonder Woman is kind of in a weird position where, especially with this one, they doubled down on the prequel or like the, the flashback story where it's, we're still leading up to the events of Batman vs Superman when we first meet her. Um, so these are all still events leading her to who she becomes in that movie and who she is in Justice League. But the problem is that they're no longer heading in that direction because they're changed, they're deviating from the Snyderverse. So we're, we've backed up again to a prequel story leading to a destination that is no longer in existence. Um, which I, I, I mean, given, given the events of Justice League and, and how that movie was received and the direction they've, they've decided to go, it almost would have been better if they had done this movie and drastically changed things to pivot in the direction that they want to go for future films because it, it felt like the stakes didn't matter anymore. Um, like we know that Diana gets her powers back at the end because she was she's that way in Justice League. Um, we know that Steve Trevor's not a part of anything. We, we know X, Y, and Z, so the stakes felt a lot lower overall um, just because we know where the destination was going. I it it felt like there were just a ton of studio notes, and I feel like we're going to get into that more later on in the review. Um, but it it just it didn't feel like a Patty Jenkins movie as much as the first one did. Um, it it felt like there were just a lot more cooks in the kitchen giving notes and making additions. And for the extra time that that Patty Jenkins asked for a delay because they wanted to make the film good or right and do it in a in a they wanted to edit it um, in a much better way. And then for the virus delaying it, they should have had more time to trim the fat and um, streamline the story, cut out anything that didn't make sense or that could have been um, uh, better written. Um, and it, it just didn't feel like they took any advantage of that time. Um, I, I would say it was a fun movie if you don't think about the logic of it too hard. Um, 
But honestly, like as far as where it fits in with the rest of the DC movies, um, I I really have to say I liked Man of Steel better, and at times I like Justice League better. Um, so overall, it's probably sitting at about a five or a six out of ten for me. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that, that not only like the amount of marketing we got for this movie and the expectations we have for the first one, but then also all of the delays that factored into it because of the virus. And we were all waiting and waiting for this movie to come out. But then at the end of the year, we were just waiting for any movie to come out. So we just wanted new content. And I think people's expectations after not having any theatrical releases for six to eight months before this, um, it, it really raised the bar, I think, for a lot of people's expectations. And I, I mean, personally, like I wanted a movie that resonated with me more than the first one did um, because they had already established who this version of Wonder Woman was. They established the universe. I think they had the potential to really excel with it, but it just didn't feel like they uh, really narrowed down any one particular aspect of what they were trying to accomplish. Um, like they were, they really leaned into the the excess of the eighties, and um, it, it just felt like the the movie was pulled in a lot of different directions. And given that, plus all of the delays and the waiting um, that people had to experience leading up to this, I, I think. I think it had a lot going again, a lot going against it um, by the time it actually came out, and I think honestly, if it had come out when it was originally supposed to back in what twenty nineteen, early twenty nineteen, um, no, it was it was delayed for over a year um, because I know they originally delayed it. Um, I think it was in May of twenty nineteen to like October because they wanted an extra. Uh, some extra time to work on the special effects and then it was no okay anyways i it was delayed a couple different times regardless i should have done should have done some reading um yeah Yeah. Yeah.
Yeah. Yeah. No, I think I think it's more with the studio itself. Like Marvel has the um, has the benefit of having a Kevin Feige who is the the captain of the ship, and he gives all of the gen, like the major creative decisions and steers the ship in the right direction, and and lets the directors um, bring their own tone and flavor into it, and they pick the right people for the right position so that they can all contribute to one great product. And not to say like it's perfect every single time, but that's a great formula. Whereas with Warner Brothers, I feel like they um, ha they're led by committee rather than one individual, and that committee has just ch had a lot of turnover recently, um, and now they're steering the ship in an entirely new direction while still pumping out movies that lead up to that old destination. So it's it's all just a big uh, fuster clock right now where they don't. <laughs> and they don't really I, they're just it, this movie came out at a terrible time i think if if it was waiting if it had waited about three years and was able to be rewritten and reshot or just if it wasn't coming out right now if it, if it just came out in three years in the context of the new universe they were setting up i think it would be a better film um but i think i think when you give patty jenkins over to um uh, uh the star wars universe I think because of the people that are involved with that, she's going to have a lot more creative control to, to tell the story that she wants because they picked her for this position. And I, maybe Dave Filoni and John Favreau are going to have their hands in it, but they're, they're trusted by the fans. They know what they're doing. And I, I, I'm much more optimistic about her future in other studios besides DC or besides Warner Brothers. No. Yeah, I I think we're gonna get I think we're gonna get the first trailer for the Rogue Squadron, and people are all going to to wish they hadn't said all these things now. I I think we're gonna see what her vision is for this for this film, and people are gonna realize that she is a great director, that it's gonna be a great film. Um, I I have no doubt it's gonna be a great movie. Don't do it, Chris. It's going to take something.
Yeah. I mean, overall, I think the concept was good. And like you said, I think the way that they incorporated it and combined it with the villain in Maxwell Lord was a good twist uh, that we didn't see coming. I think if they had focused on just the Maxwell story or just the Cheetah story, it would also would have been a much more clear film. Um, but it just felt muddled with them pulling back and forth. And they, the two villains didn't really feel that connected. Um, like... They, like uh, Krishna Wick's character held the Dreamstone, got her wish, and then didn't really meet up with the with Maxwell Lord again until um, they were in that plane together, and they, she was protecting him. It, it just they felt like two very disconnected villains who didn't really share a common goal, um, other than getting trying to get what they wanted. Um, but I think everything with Steve Trevor, uh, just the the logic and how they brought him back. If you think about the fact that, like, Wonder Woman raped a guy, like he did not give the the man who was who was uh, hosting Steve's soul did not give his consent, uh, and he's gonna wake up with a lot of cuts and bruises, having had sex with with Wonder Woman, and he did not sign off on any of that. Um, but it doesn't matter, <laughs> like, just. Just the, I don't know, just the logic of it seemed a little weird. Because then they go on to say later, um, when they're talking about all the nuclear missiles just appearing out of nowhere, uh, and the wall that cut off uh, Greater Bialia to the rest of um, the, the city, all of those things just appeared. So you could have just made Steve Trevor just appear. And, and it's just, it's an odd choice that they went and um, counteracted the logic of the stone um, with other items multiple times later in the film when they could have just really uh, rehashed the fact that the stone just makes things appear and when it grants your wish like there it doesn't the law of conservation of mass doesn't matter like you can just have whatever you want at any time um, and I, I don't know like because I think I think Maxwell Lord was a great villain in his own right and the fact that he he um, had a lot of inspiration from Nicolas Cage really pushed that crazy factor that i think he he is just an incredible actor and and really honed in on that aspect of the villainry um he he was i thought he was a great counter to diana um because he could get whatever he wanted but diana was struggling with what the one thing that she wanted that she could never have that was just out of her grasp um and i thought cheetah was great uh and I think if they had spent more time building the relationship between her and Diana uh, and and really delving into who the character was, I thought she, I thought she would have been great because I think Kristen Wiig is a great actress and I think she did well with the role, but I don't think she was really given a lot to work with. Um, it just, like I said, it just it's a very muddled movie with a lot of logic that's flawed if you spend more than two minutes thinking about it. Yeah. 
<laughs> Not Steve Trevor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the thing, like they like I said, like they're building towards a universe that's already been established. So when you have a giant world-shaking event like this where nuclear missiles are launched, the fact that Bruce Wayne didn't know who Diana was and she's at the center of this whole event makes no sense. Um, and you're right, like they should have had some kind of thing where when you when you take back your wish, you lose any memory associated with it. And that would have, I think, cleared it up. But like everyone knows exactly what happened. You're right. And, and for them to still not know what happened 25 years later when uh, the events of Batman vs Superman happened, that it just it it really puts a crack in the logic of the entire universe. Yeah. No. Yeah, I, I, I don't think like that's OK. So going back to my point of they had a lot of extra time to work on the story and the CGI and they had a lot more time in post-production. The fact that the CGI looks like what it do, did, I think, should have been better. Um, they, it, it doesn't look fluid. Uh, I My biggest complaint, I think, was when she was flying up in the clouds um, and when she's not using her lasso, it, it just looks jarring. And they had all of this extra time to really hone in on what they wanted. And it just felt like like she was standing in front of a green screen with a fan. Like, it, it didn't look real. And and granted, like, it's it's somebody flying up in the clouds. But, like, when you look back on what Superman, uh, like, the dynamics and, and how... Yeah, like, that, I think, looked a whole lot better than what we got in this movie. And it's just, it's so disjointed. Yeah, yeah, a while before this. Um, and and I don't, I just, I, I really, I don't know what you thought, what you thought about it, but I really didn't have a problem with Cheetah's CGI. Um, I I think the fact that they were fighting at night definitely helped. Um, but with, you also have to think about the fact that this came out or was at least in production at the same time or before Cats was in production. Um, so they had they had the opportunity to look at how that movie looked and tweak things a bit. So given that context, I feel like they did okay. And I feel like the fact that Cheetah is this cat person could have looked a lot worse. Um, I think the, if you took like a still image of Cheetah herself, it wouldn't bother me, but it's when it's, it's the physics of it and like when she's fighting and how she and Wonder Woman are moving together. That's what takes me out of it. Yeah.
Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I think, I think they had a similar issue with Cap. Yeah. Yeah, and and I think I think Captain America ran into a similar issue, where you have somebody who, um, I think inherently could or has a reputation in the past as being a cheesy character, and in the first Wonder Woman they leaned into the more human elements of her, where she couldn't fly, she just had super strength and super speed, um, she was she had near invulnerability, but it it felt like a much more grounded character. And with this, they really leaned into the God aspects of the character and didn't really plan out how the visuals would compare. Um, I, I think I enjoyed the first one more just because it was a lot more oh, like relatable and they weren't they weren't going so far into the deep end with with her abilities um, because it was it was it was much more gritty and focused on how she was like in the middle of war. And this one really wasn't there. There wasn't a war element to it at all. She they weren't really showing off her as a fighter with other fighters. It was just her doing a lot of lasso work and jumping high, and then getting shot a couple times. Um, overall, yeah. Yeah, I it, like if I think when they focused on the more gritty, raw elements of who the character was, it's a lot more enjoyable. But then when you focus on how like this person is just flying, or the more fantastical elements of who she is, I don't think they've really developed that enough um, technologically to be able to show it off well. Um, because Captain America, like I said, was a very cheesy character, but they focused on the gritty war elements and then the PTSD and how he fits into the real world. And it felt like a much more grounded story. And this, I think, tried to follow that same pattern and just missed the mark. Birds of Prey. <laughs> yeah. No. The first Avenger. 
Yeah. I think in the hands of a almost any other actor, that would have been a terrible role. Um, and just, I, th I well, okay, so I think that he did an incredible job with what could have been very cheesy um, because he he had all the subtlety rolled into it and and had built up this character from, from the start of the film as someone who just wanted to fit in and, and be successful and was going to do that by any means necessary and, and didn't care about cheating people. Um, he just wanted to provide a legacy for his son and, and to be known as not a failure. And I think he really did a great job with, with portraying that type of person. Um, but I think, I don't, I don't know who else could have done that well. Um, I, mm, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, potentially, but it, there there are a few actors out there that I think can portray the subtlety needed to balance that line between cheesy '80s villain and uh, emotional roller coaster that you want to ride. And and Pedro Pascal is just such an incredible actor, and having come off so much uh, um, uh, practice. Well, I mean, so after having come off The Mandalorian, where he has to rely on that subtlety, I think those skills really lent him into this, where he he has the like that rockiness in his voice when he's begging for something and when he's talking to his son about wanting to to provide for him. Um, I I just I, I don't know, man. Like I think he really brought down the house, and he was the scene sealer in a lot of ways. Oh, okay, okay. You just keep uh, undercutting my point. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, I, I think if they had leaned more into um, like the PTSD of losing someone that you love in war, and the fact that she never actually got to say goodbye because she could barely even make out the words he was saying to her when he said goodbye, and so there's she didn't get that closure for him. Um, I, I think you kind of hit it hit on it a little bit before when um, if you had just focused on the Cheetah Diana relationship, and maybe if Diana was able to 
to try and vicariously work through her issues through an issue that Cheetah was facing, um, that would have been a much more interesting film because you would have seen her overcome the grief that she was facing from losing Steve while not injecting Chris Pine, who was a great actor and I think did a great job. Um, but it, it just it's a muddy film with too many main characters, too much too many different stories happening all at the same time. And it would have strengthened the relationship and the tension between uh, Diana and Barbara and would have raised, I think, the stakes in the fight a lot more when they're not just fighting each other, they're fighting for their ideals and for for the, the, uh, the people in their lives. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it, well, and it's it's not leaning into the fact that this is supposed to be Themyscira's chief or like lead warrior. Like she's supposed to be the strongest of anyone, and they don't really show that. They just show her as being like even in the in the first flashback scene, um, they they show her limitations, and and I get why they did that, but they never really have a moment that shows off in this film at least like the true nature of who I think this character is, who is, it's a, she's an incredible warrior who 25, 30 years from, from this film would go on to face Doomsday, who killed Superman. And, and you never really see like the range of who this character is. It's, it's more, it's trying to be more of an emotional story than a physical one like the first film was. And it, it didn't, I think, meet the mark of that emotional journey it wanted to take us on. But see, and then that brings up the point of it's not it's not Diana's film, it's Pedro Pascal's film. Huh. See, I, as much as I liked the world building that they've done with Themyscira and the the people that are that were in it, I think I'd have to cut that, just because like it it sets up an emotional arc for her that I don't think really landed with me, um, and they don't really reference the world any any further. I mean, the the most that it does 
is set up her eagle armor and and introduce the um the return of um what's her face at the the post credit scene who played the original wonder woman and i can't remember her name now well yeah yeah um but the woman who played that was the one who played wonder woman back in the um the 70s or 80s when they had the original tv show um <laughs> that's fine um but it it it's trying to tee up like i said it's trying to tee up an emotional arc that i don't think they really addressed later on in the film they're just setting up um the war eagle armor that i didn't even really like and that the physics of that didn't really seem to mesh with how she was fighting um the armor itself doesn't really even make a lot of sense uh logistically like if you were if you're trying to use the wings as like uh like a casing for your whole body like it just I, I i don't know man like the whole the whole logistical aspect of that type of armor didn't really sit well with me no but the but the woman who uh who was um like introduced as having it originally was introduced like they showed her statue and um like her legacy so that's what set it up initially but then she goes and explains the armor to steve and they could have just used that conversation um as an introduction for it like they didn't need this whole flashback introduction for it linda carter thank you so much oh okay I mean, besides the fact that the the main villain of the film is preaching excess and you can always want more, why can't you have more? And that was really a major theme of the 80s. So, yeah, but um, I, I think that they... <laughs> I mean, and then you have the whole like wardrobe scene with Steve and then leading into that or when. Yeah, I mean, like overall, it doesn't it's not like Stranger Things that heavily leans into a lot of 80s cliches. Um... But then you're just setting up the year and making it very clear how it fits into the timeline. No. And, and the only other thing that I think was interesting about the timeline of it is the fact that when they introduced Greater Bialia, um, I don't know if you've seen Young Justice, but uh, a major villain from that, um, who's part of a larger organization, is um, is called Queen Bee, and she's the queen of, of Greater Bialia. Um, it's, it's a whole thing. Uh, but basically, <laughs> which could be basically what it means is that because of the timeline and when they introduce bialia and how old the leader is and the fact that it's 30 years before modern day or 40 years before modern day um th they could introduce queen bee in in the third wonder woman film as the villain of that having set her up 
having set up Bialya at all in this film, um, because then she'd be Diana's, or she'd be mid thirties, almost forty years old. Um, so that I think justified having the set in the eighties. Um, but overall, I, I think I think having done a, like a prequel film like this, like I said, in leading up to to where we already know where it's going, um, it it just took a lot of risks unnecessarily. And they could have just, I think they could have just done a modern day take um, and just set this as a sequel to Justice League uh, or maybe set it right before the events of BVS, um, but in slightly modern day. And I think it would have been just as good. Um, but the fact, I don't, I don't know, man, just so many things. When you think about the logic for so many things about this movie, it just doesn't work as well. Ooh, Okay. Okay. <laughs> we could argue that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, man. Um, it's just closing thoughts. In in ten words or less, what do you think about the film? Okay. Okay. I'd, I have to say, fun movie. Could have been better. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Chris, stay on target. We're getting off topic. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yep. <laughs> I feel like that's starting to become an insult for us. Yes. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> what? Bah. <laughs> 